Colossians. And, and then why don't you go on over and, and stick a marker on over in John. Third chapter. And at the end of the third chapter. Hallelujah. If you're going to understand meditation in your covenant then you have to understand that your primary teacher in this covenant is the Holy Spirit. He's come to fulfill his great commission to guide you and I into all truth and thy word it is truth. So to truly understand meditation in your covenant then you must, must understand that the Holy Spirit is your primary teacher. And the pivotal point really between the Old and New Testament it's Romans 7 and 8, where we're actually freed from the old unregenerated sin nature. And he says, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. And right there, between Romans 7 and 8, was the change of covenants from a spiritually dead man, which they were under the old covenant, to a born-again man that now answers to the law of the spirit of life, because I have been born again, received a new nature, thank God the Holy Spirit can come and take up His abode on the inside of me. And what we have now, the Old Testament saints would have killed for. What we have, they would have killed for. They longed to see this day. Holy Spirit was given to them, which verse we're going to read this time in a moment. He was given to Jesus without measure, which indicates that to the Old Testament saint he was given in measure which meant two things that the Holy Spirit could only come for a purpose, a plan, or a pursuit and then he would leave the measure that he could come in is to their soul only because they were unregenerated men they were waiting for the promise of the cross he could not take up his abode on the inside of them to become their teacher like he has us because they did not have a capacity to understand spiritual things as you and I do because we have finally received his nature. Well, the pivotal point was Romans 7 and 8. And for you to understand meditation under your covenant, then you must understand that your primary teacher, see, he is the Holy Spirit. He is. Now, let me show you something here. Colossians look at the 15th verse I'll back up to 14 in whom we have redemption Colossians 1 and in whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins who is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of every creature of course he's speaking to Jesus for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things are created by him and for him. He is before all things. By him all things consist. He is the head of the body, which is the church, who is the beginning, and he is the firstborn from the dead. Firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. He is the firstborn from the dead. Now, how could he be the firstborn from the dead when he himself resurrected Lazarus? See, there's something that's called a JDS heresy. Jesus died spiritually heresy. JDS heresy says that Jesus just died, went to the lower parts of the earth, preached to those who were in prison, and brought them back to heaven with him. But it did not say that he descended to the lower parts of the earth, as did Jonah, was in the belly of the well three days, three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the center of the earth. They call a man that believed Jesus died spiritually a JDS heresy or a heretic. So it's divided the body of Christ. But I'm going to tell you right now, the deity of Jesus did not die spiritually, not the deity, but the humanity. 
For it would be impossible for the humanity of Jesus Christ to be a human being without having the spirit also of a human being. And this is where your mind is going to fail to understand the separation. That how that Jesus could also be deity and be humanity and be everything that God is but still have a human spirit. Which he does. And it was that human spirit that experienced the spiritual death. Let me ask you, how could he be the firstborn from the dead when Lazarus himself was resurrected from the dead? And before Lazarus, Jesus stopped the funeral and resurrected a child from the dead. And even under the old covenant, he resurrected people from the dead. Elisha resurrected a boy from the dead. How could Jesus call himself the firstborn if one other human being was resurrected before him? The firstborn wasn't talking about the resurrection of the body. The firstborn meant that after Jesus was made to be our sin, he entered into the state of what humanity had become. And then when he was resurrected from the dead... He was born again out of spiritual death. That's why it called him the firstborn of many brethren. And that had not been since Adam. He was the firstborn from the dead since Adam fell. And the whole human race inherited spiritual death. So he called him the firstborn. Now I'm not going to go over to John now. Because it says, He that speaks the words of God... He gave to him the Spirit without measure. Because before Jesus was made to be our sin, he was born spiritually alive. He had to be born spiritually alive to be able to take our sin. After he took our sin, when he was the firstborn of many brethren, Romans called him the firstborn, many brethren from the dead, firstborn of the church. All the Old Testament saints had to wait for his resurrection. Because all were predestined to be conformed to his image. And before Jesus rose from the dead, there was no image to conform to. The whole human race had fell to spiritual death. So now the firstborn was born from the dead. And finally, we had an image to conform to. So he called him the firstborn from the dead. All right, because before Jesus took our sin... Of the Virgin Mary, he was born spiritually alive. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. That because he substituted himself in our sin, we might be made when we accept what he has done, the righteousness of God in Christ. Hallelujah. So he says to him, God gave him the spirit without measure. Well, we know that Jesus went out beyond Jordan and John baptized him. At the age of 30 years old, the Holy Ghost fell on him in baptism. Why? Because he was born of the Virgin Mary spiritually alive. It wasn't till later when he died on the cross and called, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me that in his humanity he was made to be my sin, that I might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Well, he says, He that speaks the words of God... To him, he gave him the spirit without measure. Under the Old Testament, every prophet, every person that was moved by God received the spirit in measure. The only measure that he could come to them was in their soul. They had not a nature that they could understand him by. And not anymore. Now that you and I have been born again, the Holy Spirit is able to come and take up his abode on the inside of us. When Jesus was about to go to heaven, he told them, he says, In the spirit of truth whom the world can't receive, he now dwells with you. But after you're born again and you receive a nature that frees you from sin, he will be in you and he will abide with you forever. Well, if you're going to learn how to meditate, I'm going to tell you one more time. In our covenant, your primary teacher is the Holy Spirit. When you give yourself to meditation, you're assisting him in your transformation. It's your primary teacher is the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you something else. 95% of the 
of denominations, that is, groups of believers that are led into error. They're not led into error by themselves. You sheep usually don't do enough to fall into error. Pick your Bible up on the way to church. What do you know? Say, how do you know? Because I've lived in sheep pens. And I love you. My God. See, so you usually don't do enough to deceive yourselves. 95% of deception didn't originate with the sheep. It came from there. Absolutely, it came from the pulpit. And sheep just just eat that grass. He put it, just eat it. Just, nah, just... Where do we go now? (laughs) Oh, you want us to go into that? Yes, certainly. Sends a couple of strong goats out. They they change sheep pens on you until the grass is drier, but that's okay. That goat yelled at you and you just ran over there. (laughs) This is why James... The third chapter says what? Be not many teachers, receiving the greater condemnation. He that offendeth not in word, the same is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. Behold, a great matter, a little fire kindleth. I mean, just a little kindle. He says, how can bitter and sweet water flow from the same fountain? All that is in the same chapter. What's he talking about? Be not many masters, which means teachers. Because you'll receive the greater condemnation if a man masters his word. That, that water fountain out there is the tongue. But all that you're doing is delivering what's in the reservoir. If the reservoir has strychnine in it, the fountain will deliver the strychnine. If a man can master his words because he mastered what's in his heart. He said, and that man's able to bridle the whole body. But if I'm preaching false doctrine, I'm going to receive the greater condemnation because I'm going to put a bit in the body of Christ's mouth and lead them into the desert and say, guess what? I was visited by an angel. I can have seven wives. Just follow you and pretty soon you're singing in some monstrous choir out in the middle of the desert and don't know the difference. So what? You receive the greater condemnation. Why? Because this guy, he starts poisoning. He starts poisoning the body of Christ, bridles him. A little fire, a great fire, a little kindling. Kindle, it starts with just a little kindling wood, but this guy creates a raging forest fire. And he, he poisons the fountain. And people follow him in just as blind and dumb as a sheep. Because you don't know the primary teacher of your covenant. Don't know how to yield to him. Don't know how he teaches you. Before we get done tonight, we're going to lay it on you. (laughs) He says, how how can bitter and sweet water flow from the same fountain in that chapter according to meditation? He says, a man will bless God, stand there, oh, I love Jesus. Then curse men that are made in the similitude of God. He said, these things ought not be. How can they be? Because somebody's fountain got poisoned. See, what am I? How are you going to know the difference? Do you think that it was a bunch of... You think Jim Jones went to a, <laughs> a mental institution and got the people to follow him from a mental institution? They were white-collar, blue-collar, doctors, lawyers, and they followed him to Guyana. How could this be? I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again. Your primary teacher in your covenant is the Holy Spirit. His commission is to guide you into all truth. Thy word, it is truth. And after us preachers have preached and the exhorters have exhorted and the teachers have taught all they're going to teach, who is it finally is the instructor of your wisdom? Who is going to be holding your hand when each of us take our turn? We're going to have a turn in front of God. Who's going to hold your hand? You think your wife's going to be there? Your husband? Who are you going to blame your deception and failure on now? 
I want to make a point tonight. You know, who are we going to blame then? Why did, why did Jesus, through Paul, say things like in Hebrews? He says, there's no need every man to teach his neighbor to know God. Why? When they were spiritually dead, the only way they could know him was through the ordinances and instructions and sacrifices. When they'd get everything just right, then God would come and they'd go, wow, that's him. They knew of him. They could watch him, but they did not know him. But now, he said, you can know him from the least to the greatest. Why? Because you've been born again. He says, it isn't every man teach his neighbor through ordinances to know about God. But you can know him now from the least to the greatest. Because he's writing his nature in our hearts, his laws and in our minds. I can know him now because before I didn't have a nature to know him. It was absolutely impossible to know him because I didn't have a nature to know him. But now I can know him and you can from the least to the greatest because every person can know God personally now. All I am is the instructor of your faith. I cannot replace your fellowship with him. So if you're going to understand meditation, I'm going to say it again. Your primary teacher is the Holy Spirit. His commission is to guide you into all truth. In thy word, it is truth. Hallelujah. Say, well, Brother Robertson, the Holy Spirit is my teacher. Yes, sir, he is. As much as he is mine. I'm going to tell you right now, he lives for the day. He lives for the day that you will offer your soul on the Word of God, on the altar of the Word, so that as he instructs your spirit with wisdom and insight, and he is your understanding, that you'll be offering your soul on the altar of the Word in the combination of the two, Him the instructor of my new nature. At the same time, you offering your soul, your mind, your will, and your intellect on the altar of the Word is the combination that will make you something that the devil doesn't even know how to deal with. Instead of a dumb little sheep just eating what I give you on Sunday. And what I give you is good because I'm not a dumb little instructor. But how do you know that? How do you know that? That's right. How do you know that? God commissioned and authorized 66 books and left them behind as a legacy. And that's the only way you're going to know anything. People. The Apostle John ministered on this earth approximately 85 years. Ministered. He was a hundred when he got off the Isle of Patmos and ministered something like five more years. Besides his crowning achievement, which was the testimony of Jesus as he walked with him now through the eyes of the Holy Spirit. And that's why he was able to say so much more about what Jesus was talking about when he instructed that the Holy Spirit would come and when he'd come, he'd guide you into all truth. He's the one that understood all that. Uh, he is with you now. And that day he'll be in you. John understood that. He ministered on the earth longer than any man alive. There was something about John even before he was born again, regenerated. Jesus saw something in him that he committed his own mother to him. And I believe that's one reason he lived so long that when he moved to Ephesus, Jesus' own mother died of old age in John's house in Ephesus. And John was banished after that to the Isle of Patmos, Demetrian. He died. And when he died, in fact, he was impeached. He was the cruelest Roman dictator that ever lived. They impeached him. When they impeached him, they brought many of the prisoners back off the Turkish penal colony, which was the Isle of Patmos, just off the Turkey. So they brought John back at about 100 years old. He lived to be about 105. Besides the testimony of, of Jesus, let me give you his crowning achievement. First John, second John, third John. 
and second and third John are just a couple of paragraphs. The first John is five chapters. Follow me. The wisdom, the insight that God could pour into a man in 85 years. Pertinent to the church. God captured 85 years. He captured in five chapters. Five chapters. Show some respect. Tell me you skim that book. Quote a couple of favorite verses in a religious conversation when it's appropriate. Come on. Eighty-five years poured into five chapters. There's something in there. Show some respect. If I was you, I'd find out how to offer my soul onto the altar of that book. Because this is the crowning achievement of that man. And his whole life culminated in five chapters. My God, you'd better read it more than once. Help me out. (laughs) Help me out. Come on. Eighty-five years. And it was said in five chapters. Show those five chapters some respect when you're in that book. Much less the sixty years of Paul. His crowning achievement was the foundation of the church. Ephesians, Colossians, Romans, Hebrews. Come on. What's in there? Come on. Holy Ghost wants to teach me. He wants to teach me. And I'm going to do him the honor of offering my soul on the altar of the Word of God. Can you teach me? Oh, yeah. I can teach you. (laughs) Hang on. Don't worry. Flow's pretty good. Hallelujah. So we're going to pick it up before we left off. We'll pass in review over and then we'll take her to the end now. Hallelujah. You must remember I only had about 20 pages before. Now I have 39. It's not so bad. I've read them several times. I get so turned on I can't stand it. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, (laughs) you wrote this? (laughs) Of course I did it. You know, when I was lost in the Spirit, He's teaching me like when I was preaching out here. You can't, I can't repeat a message over. Especially when I'm flowing in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Brother Tim, I want to teach you on the principles that govern the meditation of God's Word. Some of the things I'm about to share, the Holy Spirit has just revealed to me in the last few months, and immediately I thought of you, my friends. Because even after 24 years of ministry, I'm still excited about what God is adding to my life. And my prayer is that He will bless you as much as He's blessed me, because I can promise you, if you will do the things I'm about to teach you, your walk with God will never be the same. Whenever great men talked of the principles God gave them to live by, such as David, the mighty king of Israel, and Joshua, who stepped into Moses' shoes to lead the children of Israel into the promised land, there seemed to be a statement that kept reoccurring in the instructions God gave to them. 
It took me a while to catch on to what it was. But when I did, the results have been so strong. And believe me, I can tell when something has changed. After 24 years of ministry, believe me, I can tell. And that statement was to meditate the Word day and night. Notice how this statement occurs twice in God's instructions to these great men. The first place is Psalms 1, 1 and 2. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor setteth in the seat of the scornful. But he delights himself in the law of the word of God, and in his word does he meditate day and night, day and night, day and night. And Joshua 1 and 8, this book of the law, shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate day and night, day and night, day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein, for then shall thou make thy way prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. Now, when we think of a person meditating the Word day and night, we think of them studying not only for the long hours of the day, but late into the night. That their whole world is consumed with the meditation of God's Word almost to the degree that you would think of them tucked away somewhere in a monastery. Certainly not the average person carrying out a 40-hour work week that makes up the greater part of the body of Christ. So I knew that God was trying to get something over to me, and not only to me, but to everyone who loves the Word of God and wants to learn how to meditate to increase their wisdom and understanding in an unforgiving world of schedule and 40-hour work weeks. I guess where I fell down a bit was in my understanding on how to give my mind, my intellect, over to the most effective way of meditation. For a long time, I thought meditation was studying or reading. And although these things assist meditation, they do not replace it. Because as I said, most people cannot do these things day and night, day and night, day and night. But God's instructions to Joshua was to meditate day and night. But Tim, unless we understand our covenant, as born-again, Holy Ghost-filled believers, we're never really going to understand meditation. Because in our covenant, our primary teacher is the Holy Spirit. He is the one who's been given to us to guide us into all truth. And where men leave off, He picks up and gives us what no man can give us. Because our covenant is different from the covenant God gave to the Old Testament saints. The Old Testament saints were not born again as you and I understand to be born again. So it was impossible for the Holy Spirit to fulfill His ministry in them as He does in us. Because their spirits were not capable of understanding light. Nor did they have a new nature that made it possible for the Holy Spirit to dwell in them. This is why Jesus said what He did in John when He was given His disciples their final instructions before He was taken away from them about the Holy Spirit who was dwelling with them but soon would be in them. John 14, 16, and 17. And I'll pray the Father and He shall give you another comforter that He may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him. For He dwelleth with you, and He shall be in you. The Old Testament saints were men and women waiting for the promise of the cross to be fulfilled in them. When God would come, and take away their old nature and give them a new that freed them from sin. For thousands of years, the Old Testament saints waited, lived, and died and went to a place called Abraham's bosom 
an Old Testament type of heaven and waited. It was a very comfortable place that God had provided for them while waiting out the different dispensations leading up to the cross when God would be able to give them a new nature that once and for all freed them from sin and finally make it possible for them to leave the shadows and the types of the old covenant behind, including the Old Testament type of heaven, Abraham's bosom, and go on to heaven itself to be in the presence of God. Luke 16, 22 briefly mentions this place when he says, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And as you know, the term Abraham's bosom was talking about everyone who embraced the promise God made to Abraham that in his seed, which was Christ, would all the nations of the earth be blessed. And anyone who died resting in that promise waited in Abraham's bosom until the waiting period was over and the Old Testament saints could once again dwell in the presence of God. And that had not been so since the fall of Adam and the spiritual death of the human race. But this is not so in our case, Tim. We were not born under the dispensation of the old covenant. We were born under the new. And when we were when we embraced salvation, not like the Old Testament saints who had to wait for the change of covenants to be born again. Immediately when we're saved, God gives us a new nature. And when we die, because we have a new nature, there's no waiting period for us. We're ushered immediately into the presence of God, into heaven itself. This is why in Hebrews, when Paul was talking about the difference between our two covenants, he said in Hebrews eleven thirty nine and 40, And these all, having attained a good report through faith, received not the promise. That was the Old Testament saints. God having provided something better for us. He's talking about the rebirth. That they without us. Out our covenant. With the rebirth. Should not be made. Perfect. So think about our covenant Tim. That we live in the dispensation of God's redemption plan when He's able to impart the born-again experience to our spirit. And in the creation of our new nature, so thoroughly has He cleansed us from our sins that we're now able to receive His Holy Spirit. Because so pure and guiltless have we become in the sight of God in our new natures. That God is able to send the Holy Spirit in all His holiness and pureness to live on the inside of us, to move into our new natures and become to us what no man can give us, the instructor of our new nature and the wisdom of our understanding. As I said, Tim, in our covenant, the Holy Spirit is our primary teacher. And upon our invitation, He's ready to take up His ministry on the inside of us to guide us into all truth. That when all the pastors have done what they're supposed to do, when all the teachers have taught what they're supposed to teach, and all the instructors have instructed and the exhorters have exhorted, He's the one who gives you what no man can give you. He's the minister of your understanding and the instructor of your new nature. This is why John again says in the 13th chapter and the 14th verse, How be it when the Spirit of truth has come, He'll guide you into all truth, for He'll not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak. He'll show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for He will receive a mind, and He'll show it unto you. Tim, many Christians do not understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit towards us as our teacher. Because when we were born again, 
what we did was receive a new nature that could understand spiritual things. But in reality, you still have to be taught. Let me rest my case. In this city alone, two or three thousand preachers get up and share a pulpit on Sunday morning in the city. And out of them, a thousand's probably filled with the Holy Ghost. Yet no two can get up and agree on the same verses. If we only have one teacher with one set of epistles and one instruction to guide us into all truth, then it is a fact that even though you received a new nature that could understand spiritual things, you have to be taught. And you can rest your case on one preacher saying that sickness and disease was sent by God and another one says, no, it is not. And another says you can pray in tongues anytime you want. And another says, no, you cannot. Where is the breakdown on the understanding of spiritual things? Is it with the Holy Spirit or is it with us? It's with the fact that even though you received a nature that could understand spiritual things, you still must be taught as you will be led. You can believe anything you want. Because when we were born again, what we did was receive a new nature that could understand spiritual things. But in reality, you still have to be taught. You're still a separate individual from the Holy Spirit. He's one person, you're another. You do not automatically know everything He knows because you suddenly received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But now, thank God, you finally have a nature that can understand spiritual things. In the same way one person would transfer knowledge to another, the Holy Spirit must also transfer His knowledge to you through guiding and teaching. This is why again Jesus said what He did in 16 John and the 13th verse, How be it when the Spirit of truth has come, He'll guide you into all truth, for He'll speak, not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak. He will show you things to come. Because Tim... We are a separate individual from the Holy Spirit. When He comes into our new nature through baptism, He comes to teach us and to guide us into all truth. And much the same way you would enter into a classroom and the teacher would teach you what he knows by transferring his knowledge to you is the same way the Holy Spirit must teach you. Because as you know, When you entered the classroom, you did not automatically know everything the teacher knows. It had to be taught you. When you were born again, you received a new nature that could be taught, that can understand spiritual things. He removed the darkness out of your spirit and sent you the teacher of all teachers, the instructor of your wisdom, the teacher of your new nature to give you what no man can give you. What happened in your spirit that caused you to be able to understand spiritual things was phenomenal and could only be compared to something like you not knowing one word of Japanese, yet taking a college course on the theory of relativity from a Japanese professor who spoke no English. You'd not have any idea what he was talking about when you sat in his classroom. But all the Japanese students would because they were born into that culture. And in order for you to understand what the Japanese professor was talking about, being American, you'd have to understand the Japanese culture. In a manner of speaking, you would almost have to be born into it. Well, Tim, the miracle of all miracles happened when you were born again. In the twinkling of an eye, in a moment of time, God did the impossible. He took all the darkness out of your spirit and made it possible for you to understand light. Colossians 1.13 Who has delivered us from the power of darkness 
and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And a person who has never been born again has no more capacity to understand spiritual things than a person could understand a Japanese language having never been subjected to the language or culture before. When we were born again, we received a new nature and a capacity to understand spiritual things. When we were filled with the Holy Spirit, we received the professor. And they're now able to understand spiritual things as the Holy Spirit, our teacher, unveils the mysteries of Christ. This is why 1 Corinthians 2 and 14 says what it does. But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. For they are spiritually discerned. We're getting close. So here we are, Tim. A born again child of God with a nature that not only knows God. But can be taught by God. But our soul which is our mind, our will, our intellect, and our emotions, has only been trained by this world and knows no other way to operate. So on a stroke of genius, God gave our soul something it could feed on. He left behind a legacy, 66 books full of the thoughts of God. He saw to it that His Word, the Holy Bible, would be given to us so that everything the Holy Spirit was trying to get over to us as our teacher, we could go to the Word of God, find it with our mind, and acknowledge it with our intellect. So here we are with the teacher of all teachers living on the inside of us, attempting to guide us into all truth and doing so in great hopes that we will give our soul to the meditation of God's Word. (laughs) Because the combination of the Holy Spirit ministering insight and wisdom to your spirit And you willingly submitting your mind to the Word of God in meditation results in the kind of transformation that will change your life forever and put you on the unmovable rock, the Word of God, and cause the transformation of your soul and give you great courage and success to be able to face life and conquer. So, Tim, as we learn to offer our soul to the meditation of God's Word. Never underestimate the power of the soul. There's only one thing more powerful than the operation of your soul, and that is the nature of your born-again spirit. And when a person begins to subject your soul to the meditation of God's Word, then you have all the power of the soul working for you and not against you. The most common mistake people make in underestimating the power of the soul is by not realizing that your soul has the power to transform you to whatever it is you subject it to the most. And little did I know that when I followed the Holy Spirit into the principles of meditation that he would teach me the most effective way to offer my soul on the altar of God's Word. And little did I know that when I followed the Holy Spirit into the principles of meditation that He'd teach me the most effective way to offer my soul on the altar of God's Word. Not with just my intellect because even though my intellect is effective it's only one attribute of my soul. I still have three more to go. And if I'm ever going to get past the limitations of trying to meditate using just the one attribute of my soul, my intellect, then I'm going to have to learn how to incorporate the other three, my mind, my will, and my emotions. Because the difference between a person offering their whole soul on the altar of God's Word as opposed to just one, their intellect, is the difference between a person sitting down with just a cassette tape and trying to learn a whole new language by comparing one word of English to one word of the language they're trying to learn and taking a five-year-old child 
and dropping him off in a country that speaks another language. And the child will be transformed by the language of that country within a year. And it's not that he will try. He will not. But his soul has the power to assimilate the entire language within a year. And it is because he's not just using one, but all the attributes of his soul, his mind, his will, his intellect, and his emotions. I thank God, Tim, for the day God taught me how to meditate his word. Understanding that my soul has the power to transform me to whatever I subject it to the most. In the same way a child growing up can assimilate an entire language, there is a way you can subject yourself to the Word of God where you can begin to assimilate it. And when you do, you are equipping the Holy Spirit with what He so desperately needs to teach you and guard you against deception and to guide you into all truth. And the reason the soul of a child can assimilate an entire language in a very short time is because day after day their soul is subjected to every aspect of that culture. And because your soul is created to transform you to whatever it is you subject it to the most, eventually the soul of that child will reach out and absorb the entire language by automatically linking places and things with the words that identify them. It's not that he will try. He will not. It happens automatically. He will not even realize it's happening because your soul is such a powerful teacher. It will eventually serve him up the entire language for his own personal use. You're sitting on something real dangerous and you don't even know it. And Tim... The same way a child suddenly finds himself surrounded by every ingredient he needs to learn a new language with, wouldn't it stand to reason if I was meditating on the book of Ephesians that I needed to surround myself with every ingredient, every thought, every verse that's within that book of Ephesians if I really wanted the Holy Spirit to reveal the mind of Christ that's in that book to me. And that in each book, such as the book of Ephesians, Colossians, Hebrews, there's a great revelation straight out of the mind of Christ that is captured in each of these epistles. And the way that your mind was created to assimilate things, there must be a way to approach the Word of God, to give yourself over to it, where you end up receiving the whole mind of God that's in each of these epistles. Please believe me when I say that there is. And if you'll follow me closely, you'll never be the same again. Because faith really only comes one way, my friend. And that's by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. Not your preconceived ideas. But by hearing and hearing and hearing by the Word of God doesn't matter what you think's in here. doesn't matter what any human being in the world thinks is in these epistles. It makes absolutely no difference what we think. Well, the Word of God says it, I believe it, and it's so wrong. doesn't matter what you think about it. This is not a democracy. He didn't ask you for your vote. This is the same before you came. It would have got to be the same long time after you're gone. You have one shot in this life as to find it. Yes. You trust your whole soul to anyone but the Holy Spirit. Man wants to teach you how to meditate. Listen. No, it doesn't matter what we think. 
about our victories or our defeats, about money, and anybody or anything. There's only one way faith's going to come when you assimilate the mind and you find out what he said. And you'll know what God will do about it, and that spells faith. I trusted men for a long time. Cost me lots of years. Some proved trustworthy. Others took me on a path that took some time away from me that I'll never get back. Hallelujah. Please believe me when I say that there is. If you follow me closely, you'll never be the same because faith really only comes one way. And that's by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, not your preconceived ideas. These men gave their whole life, John, Paul. John, 85 years, is captured in five chapters. Come on. Come on. There's a little more in there than you think. Not knowing, and several people's done this to me, not knowing how the soul works, people would come to me asking me how to meditate. I could teach them. When I would tell them they needed to take a book like Ephesians or Proverbs and read all the way through it deliberately and precisely from beginning to end 40 to 50 times, acknowledging the thought or content that's in each verse before going on to the next. And if they find themselves daydreaming and have skimmed over several verses, to go back to the last verse they remember acknowledging and start over again. Not only is this important, but, but you'll break yourself from not paying attention and develop your concentration. You won't do that very often. You'll decide if you're going to do this, you're going to pay attention. They look at me like, you want me to do what? <laughs> what they do not understand is that they're doing the same thing for their mind as a person would do who wanted to learn a new language for the first time by subjecting themselves day and night to the culture of that new language. Let me read that again. What they do not understand, that they're doing the same thing for their mind as a person would do who wanted to learn a new language for the first time by subjecting themselves day and night to the culture of that new language. Believe me, I know how the mind works. I fought it long enough, I ought to. Believe me, I know how the mind works. Day after day, when someone from that culture walks up to you with a glass of water and says, Agua, the Spanish word for water, your mind would associate the action with the word, with the water, and it would not be long that the association would automatically begin to appropriate the language for you. What makes you think that your mind does not work the same way when you subject it to the whole book of Ephesians by reading it over and over again 40 to 50 times that outline of the book will not automatically begin to appear in the part of you that meditation takes place? I can promise you it will. I was watching an artist painting a picture and with every stroke of the brush it became clearer as to what the picture was going to be. Every verse in the book of Ephesians is a stroke of the brush, a thought within itself, but always invariably building towards the completion of the entire picture. If you subject yourself over and over again to the whole picture that's in the book of Ephesians by simply reading it over and over again 40 to 50 times, what your mind will automatically begin to do is the same way it was able to make the association between the word agua and water. It will take every verse that's in the entire book of Ephesians and automatically pull them together to give you the full revelation. And the way your mind works, the more consistently you read from one end of the epistle to the other, the clearer the whole revelation will become. Because again, each verse is a thought within itself, a stroke of the brush. But invariably, 
building towards the completion of the entire picture. And the way your soul is created, it is made to automatically pull these things together for you the same way the pieces of a puzzle comes together to form a picture. You don't have to work on it. You start serving it up after a while. This is why in these instructions I say this. That before you go through a book the size of Ephesians or Colossians or Galatians or even Hebrews and stop to do subject studies, the only thing you should stop for before you knock off 40 to 50 times is if you don't understand a word in a verse. If you don't understand a word, go ahead. Get your little lightning quick computers out. Go ahead and get the meaning of the word so that the next time you pass through the stroke of that brush will be more able to fit itself into the full picture when that time comes. But to do subject studies, don't do it. Because you'll go other places, your mind will run off on this trail and that rabbit trail, and if it's not a correct trail, then it's going to take that much longer for your soul to correct and pull the thing together for you. Leave the mind in you and don't fool with it for 40 to 50 times. Hey, I can read the book of Proverbs deliberately and precisely from one end to the other in two hours. Every two days I can read the whole book by stealing away for just one hour. Every two days. Hey, every two days I can read the whole book. Let me read that last statement again. Because, again, each verse is a thought within itself, a stroke of the brush, but invariably building towards the completion of the entire picture. And the way your soul is created, it's made to automatically pull these things together for you. The same way the pieces of a puzzle comes together to form a picture. What they do not know is they are equipping themselves for the day and night kind of meditation that will automatically begin to assimilate the mind of Christ that's in that book. And when it does, all those verses that you did not understand, that made no sense when they stood alone, you begin to understand. And it's the most glorious thing when this begins to happen. They come running to me and say, I cannot believe it. I was on my 21st time through the book of Proverbs of the book of Ephesians and suddenly this verse that had absolutely no meaning to me opened up and I understood what it means. And I have to be patient and praise them. <laughs> I didn't write that on hand in that last day. <laughs> anybody having a good time or am I, am, am I still so caught up in the spit I don't even know if you're with me or not God, I'm having a good time I'm, I'm drunk on this stuff you know when that man made the imprint in the moon can you imagine how he felt nobody in the history he was it he's it Nobody ever broke away from this planet in our natural history. Nobody. You know, that, that was born here except Christ. Who knows before the flood what existed. I'm talking about the pre-Adamite flood, the flood that destroyed the world the first time before Adam was ever born. Born of God. Can you imagine how he felt and he stepped and he looked at his imprint? radioed back we got to hear the words where were you can you imagine see you have to understand the thoughts of God is in here thoughts of God is in your epistles and any time any time you may uncover a thought that's virtually unexplored territory so hidden in the carnal mind and my God, your whole world will change. And you with it, see. How do you know? 
This didn't originate here. I bless God for the day he taught me how to meditate. I bless God. Hallelujah. And Tim, the deepest of respect will begin to develop for the Word of God. You're going to find. It says a whole lot more than you thought. Usually a whole lot more than you've been told. See, you really are the conqueror he was talking about. You really are. I've discovered it. You'll bring your soul under subjection. You really are the conqueror he was talking about. In Hebrews 11, when he talked about faith, he said, by faith we understand the Old Testament saints framed the worlds. And he said, we understand by faith the worlds were framed by the Word of God. What he was really saying is we understand these Old Testament saints in whom he told the testimonies how they closed the mouth of lions and quenched fires and received their dead back to life. That we understand these Old Testament saints framed the generations and the ages that they moved in. There's a whole lot more available to you than you could ever even imagine. You are the conqueror he was talking about. If you get a hold of God, he pours himself out through this. You think you can get it some other way, then go on. Go into the world. Go into the world and let them train you. And Tim, the deepest of respect will begin to develop for the Word of God. You must understand that epistles like Ephesians and Philippians are the crowning achievement of men like the Apostle Paul and are the culmination of 50 years of wisdom and ministry. God took 50 years of ministry and of all the things the Apostle Paul must have said and done and condensed it down into just a few books and chapters. And Paul's whole life is poured into these chapters. We need to have some respect. We're talking about his whole lifetime of a man being poured into these epistles and deserves better than an occasional skimming or an occasional quoting for the sake of a religious conversation. And in Philippians 3.8, when Paul said, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Tim, you can understand this verse better when you find out where it was written from. Because the book of Philippians was written from Rome, from a prison called the Tullian Keep. Paul was shackled to a column with his hands above his head in total darkness. The Tullian Keep was a part of the sewage system of Rome. And Paul was shackled waist deep in human waste. When he said in this verse, that he had suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung. The word for dung in that particular verse was referring to the human waste he was standing in while shackled for several months in this condition. But because Paul was a Roman citizen, he could receive an answer mail. And by law, they had to bring him a candle, unshackle his hands, and let him answer mail. And it was from this condition that Paul received the courier from the Philippian church and responded by writing what you and I have come to know. 
is the book of Philippians. And I wanted to cry to him. When Paul, under these conditions, made an incredible statement to the Philippians in the second chapter and the 14th verse. Do all things without murmurings and disputings that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. It was in this condition he received the courier from the Philippian church. They unshackled his hands, brought him a candle. He wrote the book of Philippians. And he said, let all things be done without disputing and complaining. So what would somebody do? Say something a little cross to you and cause you to run out of church? Was it the color of the carpet? <sighs> With the deepest of respect for the Word of God, may your life be filled with meditation. Prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Your friend. <laughs> Eighty-five years. Eighty-five years. John culminated everything God wanted us to know from his life. In five chapters. first 20, 30 times that book of John could irritate you. Because anything in you that doesn't have love will get really irritated. Hallelujah. Why don't we stand and worship God a little while?